2: Other people want to make friends if it's trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This is a really Dickensian, Tale of Two Cities-style market. It is at once the best of times if you own the banks and the tax or the industrials. And it's the worst of times if you own the drug stocks, the consumer packaged goods plays, or anything retail. This dichotomy plays out every single day. Including Today, where the Dow lost 85 points, s and declined 0.32%, NASDAQ dipped 0.03%. For example, today, Citigroup slaps a sell on Macy's and JCPenney. A sell! Talking about their inability to come up with lasting strategies to differentiate themselves from the competition, or, of course, from online. There was nothing revelatory about either call, but both stocks got slammed. Why? Because there's an element of SART's no, well, SART, you know, S-A-R-T-R-E, no exit here. It's an existential drama playing out where you have to wonder if these retailers are condemned to a fate worse than death. Citi says uh, that JCPenney is withering, that they've cut expenses to the bone. No, through the bone. They need to add the expenses back. The merchandise is not distinguished. The home goods have lower gross margins. There seems to be no way out. Macy's? One word, one word got us going. He's worried about the dividend. <laughs> Stock of macy has been hanging on because it's 8% yield. The balance sheet's not so bad. It's not tattered. It's going to be crazy to think it might be worth holding. But Citi says that Macy's needs the optionality to cut its dividend. If that's the case, then there's not much reason to know the thing. Just a few years ago, the stock was at 70 bucks. It was talking about Macy's selling off the real estate to unlock value. Now, at $18.84, it almost feels like it's too late. I thought the report was too downbeat and the CEO Jeff Gannett deserves a little more of a honeymoon than this. I mean, the guy's only been at the helm for about eight months. But this downgrade, it made me feel like time is running out. <laughs> Those are the have-nots. How about the haves? Oh. well, of course, there's Amazon. This reported an amazing number last week with accelerating revenue growth. It's almost as if Amazon is a country within itself. It's got the best tech, the best selections, the best prices, the best delivery. Heck, I mean, CEO Jeff Bezos, he may have the best space program. Sure, some companies can go head-to-head with Amazon and survive. Home Depot, Walmart, maybe Costco, or even Tractor Supply, which we have on tonight. But have you seen the destruction in the drugstore space? Oh, my God, anticipation of Amazon? Maybe. Just maybe going in? I mean, for whom the bell tolls, it's the drugstores. CVS is scrambling to merge with Aetna, the HMO, in order to get any kind of edge. The stock of the always dependable Walgreens is down a staggering 20% this year. The house
0: of pain.
2: And then there's Merck. We used to call this company St. Merck because it could do no wrong. These days though, it seems that Merck can do nothing right. As the company pulled a combination therapy for lung cancer using its cancer immunotherapy drug, Key Trudeau, on Friday. Many of us thought the Key Trudeau would beat out Bristol-Myers in head-to-head competition as a treatment for all sorts of cancers, it still can. But this was a real body blow. Because Merck doesn't have a robust enough pipeline to offset the disappointment, it's not as bad as Celgene, which saw a single drug miss sales forecast, causing the stock to plummet from 119 to 99 in a single session. It's been just an incredible drop. A couple weeks now. See, the problem is this: the more this marks a total change in how people perceive Merck. It's no longer viewed as a growth stock, hence why it's now enduring its sixth straight day of declines. Unlike Macy's, Merck's dividend is not in question. Doesn't matter though. After all, what kind of protection does a 3% and change yield even give you these days? So much for sainthood. Darn thing sells for just 14 times earnings. Yet, as low as that price to earnings multiple may seem, Gilead now trades in a mere 8 times earnings. Thanks to a slowdown in sales for the company's hepatitis C cure. That's remarkable. Gilead was a market darling for so long, but now it's regarded as the ultimate value trap. And all the drug companies who worry about the government regulation. I want you to contrast all that with the stock of Alphabet, formerly known as Google. When this company reported, we heard it and saw an acceleration in its core search and advertising business. Maybe Wall Street's beginning to figure out what advertisers realized ages ago. When you go to Google to look something up, you're often searching for something to buy. And that's exactly when Google makes the most money it's a cash register. And it's one that's sitting on $100 billion in cash. But this was also the quarter where it became clear that this miraculous company is serious about making money off all those moonshots, the driverless cars, the drones. It's not a pipe dream. One of these is going to hit big. Or how about the Apple complex today? Did you see that? Did you see it at all? I mean, last week we heard it's struggling with weak sales, all these reports out of the Far East. Then this weekend we found out it's not struggling, it's big problem, is demand, it's got too much. Too much for the iPhone 10. The fact that Apple reports this weekend its stock has run going into the quarter, hitting a new time, a new all-time high today, and not crazy about that, but what can you do? I say watch, not for the phone, but for the service revenue. I know that Samsung's literally giving away what Apple often charges for, but if this service stream can produce revenues that might be equal, say, to a Fortune 75 company, as opposed to a Fortune 100, which is what they've been talking about, well, then you could be talking about $38 billion in sales with some of the highest profit margins on Earth, not this quarter, but in the future. The good news about Apple is it instantly bolstered its supplier, sending Broadcom, which my chapel trust owns, and had been burning, to an all-time high. By the way, Skyworks too. We had them on not that long ago. It told a good story. Did anybody listen? No. Oh, and don't forget NVIDIA! Another resident of the all-time high list out of the doghouse, thanks to the news that the Nintendo Switch, which they make the graphics chips for, is selling insanely strong. They've had to the ramp production of the Switch. What does that mean for NVIDIA? Ka-ching, ka What works in this market works very well, and what doesn't work often is left by the wayside. Four months ago, Kimberly Clark, yeah, like tissue, traded at 133 Since then, it delivered a pretty good quarter and beat estimates... But it doesn't have the revenue growth people want, which is why it's now $111 stock. But Caterpillar, (coughs) that's got the growth people want, as does Boeing, (coughs) which is why those two Dow stocks are just doing so well. Remember, the consumer package goods companies can kind of manufacture decent quarters through a combination of stock buybacks and expense cuts, that kind of thing. Supply chain management. The simple fact is that people are always going to need something to blow their noses with in the case of Kimberly. But in this one, I always say, you know, when I was at Goldman, they said you always had to have a hanky. I mean, honestly, I got to Goldman. They said, you got to go buy a hanky. And I went to Marshall's and I bought them. I'm still buying them at Marshall's. But the wife got me. It's probably far afield. But anyway, in this market, it's not, not enough. You, money managers want companies with explosive sales growth. And that's exactly what a Caterpillar or a Boeing gives you at this point in the economic cycle. Same goes for the banks. Big and small, they're stable. So solid that it might not even matter who's named Fed chief this week. Something that many people believe will be watershed. I think the president goes mainstream with Jay Powell, a terrific non-ideologue, old pal, pal, pal. It's a Philadelphia accent, P-O-W-E-L-L equals P-A-L, um, who could be a real steady hand. No matter, whoever takes over at the Fed will raise rates and the banks will just keep doing better and better, while their stocks remain historically inexpensive. I like every bank stock except for Wells Fargo, which I still think is problematic because I think that its problems remain open-ended. We'll probably hear some more stuff within the next whatever. What can I say? The bottom line is that if you stroll down the wrong aisle of the stock supermarket, you could get eaten by a bear. you get in the right one, like the banks, the techs, the industrials. Then you're riding the bull as it tramples through the consumer product aisles, all of which you need to start charging a lot less and getting a lot more fresh. If they ever hope to grow again, good luck with that. Hey, how about we go to Ross in New Hampshire? Ross!
0: Big booyah from New Hampshire, Jim. Major fan. How we doing?
2: Done your way, partner. You know, man, I'm 7-1 all by myself. Oh, yeah, so actually the Eagles. What's going on?
0: Hey, Carson wants for president. Hey, I want to know I, about... I, I, I,
2: I, I have his jersey. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> hey, I need to know about B. I saw the interview, I saw the CEO talking on, um, on your show, and I loved every bit of it. I fell in love with it, and no. all of a sudden I'm down 20%. No,
2: we don't ever so want to I- fall in love. We don't ever, ever want to fall in love. These are just pieces of paper, even though this one's from Concha Hocken, PA, about five minutes from where I grew up. But I do like the company, we're just gonna hold it. Don't panic, stay in it. Okay, how about we go to Richard in California, Richard,
3: Mr. Kramer, sir. Yes. I really need your back on this one. And by the way, I know you hear this uh, more than often, but not enough.
2: Uh, you had a great show, great staff. Thank you. Follow up is top of top of breed. Period. Thank and thank you kindly. I'm I'm strictly plain
0: long. I've had iRobot on my watch list for some time now. But uh, I, just, I just felt it ran away from uh, me. Now know, this is back. my
2: bad. You know, this weekend I had a teach-in for the street where we had really terrific people. And someone came up to me, it was a Harvard club, and said, listen, Jim, could you do work on iRobot? I promised to do it. And instead I went to the Eagles game, I did fantasy, and then I watched the I have to do work on iRobot. Rob, I think it was, I said it was a short squeeze. That is not a good enough answer. Let me come back. Staff, make a note. We're all over iRobot. Jim in Illinois, Jim.
0: Uh, this
1: is Jim, Decatur, Illinois. Nice. Also, also the home of Howard Buffett and his foundation. Good point. And he's also our sheriff. Really? Anyway, the reason I called is I have some Kellogg I've had for a while. It was up 75 a year ago. Now it's down
0: in the low 60s. I was wondering. Uh,
2: well, they report tomorrow. I don't expect anything good. I think the company's always managed to pull rabbit out of the hat, say something, uh, yeah, something interesting. It yields 3.6. I wish it yielded 4. It may do that because I think the stock is going lower, not higher, unless there's a takeover bid, and I don't expect one. Uh, well, that's a good sheriff sure you got there. All right, this is a Tale of Two City style market. You pick the wrong sector, and you can get eaten by a bear. But choose right, and you'll be riding the bull. Man Money Tonight. Columbia Sportswear Calm is tested tough, but could unusually warm weather be bad news for the company? let sit down with the CEO after earnings, see what it's had for these guys. Then, is snapping, snapping back? I'm making a snap judgment on the stock. And traction supply is down over 25% so far uh, lately. But can the company continue to plow forward since that last quarter? I like what I saw. Might be a comeback. I've got the exclusive. So stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: What do you do with the stock of a company that makes fortune selling winter coats when global warming may be making a mockery of normal weather patterns? Tomorrow's Halloween, yet the temperature's still in the 50s in New York. Two weeks ago, it was in the 70s. Frankly, it's wonderful out, but that is not the kind of weather that makes people feel compelled to buy snow boots or a parka. Which brings me to Columbia Sportswear. The footwear and apparel company you know as Columbia, Sorrel, Mountain Hardware, Prana, among a host of other brands. Their biggest business is high-tech coats that can keep you warm without making you super sweaty. And winter boots that keep your feet feeling cozy even when it's freezing outside. Columbia Sportswear stock has held up surprisingly well ever since the Sports Authority went under last year and the whole athletic apparel space went into a tailspin. Stock's actually up a bit versus where it was trading when Sports Authority collapsed, making a much better performer than Nike or Under Armour. Stock has gotten dinged of late. It was down $1.55 today. So can Columbia triumph over adversity or should we be concerned about the warm weather, the weakness among so many of the company's distributors, and the high cost of embracing digital? Let's take a closer look with Tim Boyle, the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear, get a better sense of the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you.
2: All right Tim I'm thinking and I when I go through the, the notes that actually what you've been able to do is dewinterize the company and also somehow become less immune to the problems of the sport the brick and mortar sporting goods chain how have you been able to do that
3: Well you know uh, we've been very focused on making our business dewinterized now that that's not to say that it, it isn't terrific for us when it's when it's cold and snowy but but it's been a very keen focus for us and uh, you know, it, it, as it relates to the, um, the business of losing customers due to industry impact, etc., that's when you really need to have a balance sheet. And, and we've been very fortunate to amass a, a very strong balance sheet. And we have a very strong business around the world. So the US is only still about 60% of our business. And uh, you know, we, the US, frankly, is one of the areas where there's been much more significant impact on, uh, by the internet. Uh, and the US, as you remember, has about six times as many retail stores right. per square foot uh, per capita than Europe. And uh, so it's navigating all these parts of the world and all these various uh, economic impacts, which are going to be important. And, and again, it's important to have a balance sheet to, to navigate this stuff.
2: Now, I also think, because my kids are big users of your, of your product. You know, I have mentioned you, my daughter lives out in Oregon, but that they say, listen, if this is a little more experiential uh, than it is just clothes. Uh, in the same way that they love to go to REI, they love to buy Columbia stuff because it means that they are not just walking to school or walking to work. It means that they're climbing. It means that they're hiking. And you're part of that.
3: Well, you know, it's, nobody needs another brand of footwear or apparel, regardless of how impactful our products are. It's about being different, and it's about differentiating yourselves from, from others. And frankly, we've done that uh, in many ways. Obviously, the product is key, but it's about using uh, personalities like my mother, who stars in our TV commercials. It's about being connected with Macklemore. My mom just did a, a really interesting... A uh, collaboration with the Efron brothers, Zach and Dylan. And you may remember we did a, a really interesting uh, collaboration with Disney and the Star Wars last year, which was very successful for us. And, and we're doing another one, which will be debuted here soon. But it's about differentiating yourself, obviously making great, spectacular products. But it's about being different.
2: But you're also doing uh, something that uh, a lot of companies have to do. In this case, it's, it's pro, uh, Project Connect in order to be able to make the gross margins go higher.
3: Well, we need to tell our story more frequently. You know, our marketing spend is only around 5% of sales. Some of our competitors spend up to 12 We don't think we need to spend that much, but we need to find more capital to spend on marketing. And frankly, we need to be more profitable. So we've been in business for a long time. We have legacy activities uh, which are not moving the business forward. We need to uncover those, allow our employees to really talk about those areas of the business which are not helping and, and maybe holding us back and allow for the business to grow, become more profitable, and throw off more money for marketing. So we want to tell our story better.
2: Is that one of the reasons why I, uh, I'm going to maybe mispronounce his name, but Franco Fogliato is coming from Europe? Because the turnaround in Europe's been pretty stark.
3: Well, we've, you know, we've talked in the past about our European challenges. And it's, it's difficult to run a business thousands of miles away without really good people. And Franco joined our company about four years ago quickly saw the issues that were impacting our business in Europe. And we said, Franco, we need your help. And he gave us the path, which was basically do more business with our bigger customers and be more important to them. And he did such a spectacular job that we said, "You know, please come to North America and help us take care of the same sorts of issues we have with our large customers, which are all terrific. But we need to be doing more business with those folks.
2: Now, will it matter, uh, you've got this 4,000-pair limited boot collaboration uh, with Chloe. I mean, is this the kind of thing where where it kind of shines a light on the special things that you do? It's not gimmicky, but, I mean, it's something that I think people need to know about you guys.
3: Well, you know, the the Chloe thing was really interesting because... The Sorrel product, as you know, it's become much more fashionable due to our great team there, but it's really a utility product, and it's great to be recognized that there's something there about Sorrel by a a prestigious fashion house like Chloe, And, and that's been a real fun project together, and I wish I could take credit for it, but frankly, it's a lot of really hard work by our teams in Portland.
2: Well, you guys have done a magnificent job against some even down to getting the credits, credit right, balancing credit. Because boy, there's some guys really hurting in your industry. You're not one of them. Tim Boyle, Presidency of Columbia Sports, who remains just a terrific company with a very good stock. Stay with Kramer. How long does it take for an overhyped tech IPO to get its groove back? That's the question I keep asking myself about Snap, the parent company of Snapchat. Here's a stock that came public, really did an incredible fanfare at the beginning of March 17, then spiked up to 24, and then the next day it was up to $29.44. Nearly everybody wanted a piece of this next big thing in social networking. The hype was about as uh, out of control as, as I've seen. Uh, and I gotta tell you, I'm glad that I warned you to get cautious on this one. Because sure enough, Snap peaked on its second day as a publicly traded company. And the stock spent the next five months getting hammered. Among other things, Snap's first two quarters out of the gate were incredibly disappointing. Highly unusual given that most companies won't come public if they don't have something good to say from the get-go. And the stock ultimately tumbled all the way down to $11 and changed in mid-August. That's well below the price where it came public now the situation's starting to get different. Almost all the hype surrounding Snap has dissipated. The enthusiasm surrounding the stock has completely vanished. And even though the share price has been steadily working its way higher since the August lows, recent strength's gotten very little attention. I think many investors are taking a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me approach to Snap. They don't want to get burned again. However, the stock has now rallied over 30% from its all-time lows in mid-August, and that's an impressive move that everybody wishes they caught. So I want to look at this rationally, not emotionally, just like we did when Snap came public, and I told you not to be seduced by the hype. The truth is, Snap seems to have stabilized, which begs the question, has this thing become a good investment? With the company reporting earnings next week, I think it's worth sorting out where Snap stands ahead of time so that you know what to do with its stock. For those of you who are technologically challenged or just too old to care about social networking, Snapchat is indeed an insanely popular mobile app that lets people share photos and short videos with their friends. More than 173 million people use it every day, so this is not some sort of joke, okay? And most of them are compulsive users who check the app constantly. It is beloved by Gen X, Gen Y, Millennials. You know, I I I love using it. And also my dog, Bug, Just look at him at Snapchat, uh, his pillow on his head. Don't you love that? NVIDIA refused to pose. He's got no time for this nonsense. So why did the stock collapse? Okay, shortly after Snap came public, investors realized that the stock was way too expensive. Barron's ran a piece that was very smart and called it ridiculously valued, uh, and that was the weekend following the IPO in early March. I think that really hurt the stock. The stock sold off hard and spent the next few weeks oscillating between the high teens and the low 20s. The wheels came off, though, when Snap reported its first terrible, horrible, no good, very bad quarter in May. The company missed nearly every single line item, from revenue to earnings to user growth. Not that there's any earnings. Granted, Snap was still growing at a rapid pace. Daily active users increasing by 36% year-over-year, revenue up by 286%. But those numbers fell short of expectations. And when you're dealing with an expensive stock, that kind of disappointment is Mm -hmm. deadly. I mean, this thing just Gaffed people. Lost 20% of its value in a single session, stock tumbling to 18 bucks. Then in early June, many of the analysts who'd initially been positive on the name, well, they started souring on the darn thing. By mid-July, Morgan Stanley downgraded snap from overweight to equal weight. Very big deal, given that they were the lead left underwriter in the IPO, meaning they led the deal and had the closest relationship with the company. When the lead underwriter throws in the towel, why the heck should you stick around? I don't know. I got to say, Morgan Stanley's timing was pretty good because when Snap reported in August, the company once again disappointed in in a major way. They gave you yet another quarter of massive cash burn, and slower than expected growth. Next day, the stock lost 14 percent of its value in the following session, August 14th. That's when it sank to $11.28 each day. But then something odd happened. Stock bounced off those lows and closed the day at $12.60, up 6.5 percent. Quite a good reversal. Snap then bounced to the mid-teens, where it's been trading ever since. So what explains the rebound here, and can it continue? While there was too much enthusiasm for Snap right out of the gate, after its second bad quarter in a row, many bulls capitulated, and suddenly there was too much negativity. Once the weak hands got flushed out, more risk-averse investors found a level where the stock was actually attractive. When you bought it at 11 to 12, you're probably feeling pretty darn good right now. At the same time, we started hearing rumors, and they are just rumors, that Google's interested in buying Snap for $30 billion last year. That translates to about $25 a share. In addition, Snap was obviously a heck of a lot cheaper in the low teens than it was when the stock surged to the mid-20s or the high 20s. And, of course, we got over that hump of lockup expiration when insiders allowed to sell. Often, that causes a wave of insider selling, but when the lockup ended, the stock didn't really get hurt. Investors breathed a sigh of relief on that moment. So where do we go from here? Let's start with the numbers. Last year, Snap grew its revenue at a 589% clip. Those numbers were always going to have to decelerate. But they slowed faster than investors had hoped. In the latest quarter, Snap delivered 286% and 153% revenue growth, respectively. And while that's terrific in absolute terms, it was weaker than what Wall Street had been expecting. When Snap came public, this was really what killed Snap. I have never seen a more consensus- $2 $2 billion figure. That's right. Everybody I talked to said they are going to do $2 billion in sales. I heard it endlessly. Now the consensus is for them to bring in less than $1.6 That's a very big drop. Meanwhile, the losses have exploded. The company lost $2.2 billion in the first quarter. Well, it takes a lot of work to lose that much. Uh, and then $450 million in the second quarter. However, a lot of that has to do with stock-based compensation, to be fair, and that was triggered by the IPO. When you back that out, the company's still burning a lot of cash, but it looks less dire. Nobody had any idea when Snap would be profitable at the time of the IPO. If anything, it's just more murky now. How about the user base? Okay, they had 173 million daily active users in the latest quarter, but they only grew the user base at a 21% clip year over year. That's down from 36% in the previous quarter, 48% in the previous year. That's bad. Bad. At the same time, Snap's average revenue per user is level with where it was in the fourth quarter of last year. It's supposed to be growing. Mm. Bad. Now, all of this might change if Snap reports a fabulous quarter next week. But I still have two major concerns that won't be banished by a good number. First, here at $15 and change, the stock remains expensive. It's interesting it trades at 12 times next year's sales, not in earnings, sales. It's very expensive, especially compared to Facebook or even in Amazon. And for all we know, these estimates might still be too high. Second. Lockup. Normally these IPOs get less risky after the lockup expires and insider sell. But here's the thing, Snap's stock had been obliterated going to lockup expiration. And while there were some insider selling, it certainly seems like many of the big shareholders are still holding onto to their stock, waiting for better prices before they bring the register. That means there still could be a big overhang here, but it was bullish that we didn't see a huge amount of selling. Even as management knows that they control all the votes in a uniquely punitive ownership structure for everybody but the owners. Bottom line, Snap stock may have stabilized, but I think it's still too soon to give this one our blessing as an investment. I'm just not wild about the risk-reward here until we get more signs that management knows what they need to do to turn the company around. I remain open-minded, and I want to believe, but my discipline tells me it's too soon to recommend the stock of Snap. David in my home state of New Jersey. David! Hey, Jim. Who are from Island Heights, New Jersey? Yeah, nice.
0: Uh, I know you invest in good management, and uh, should we expect more from Zynga and its electronic art executives? Yes, we and should. Drinking?
2: And I don't understand. I mean, you know, the two that were really just nettlesome were, were uh, Zyg, you know, was what was at Zygna, and now here, when you look at this SGNA, okay, I'm sorry, Z ZNGA. This thing has yet to move. It's still 382, and the other one had been Groupon, and that's at 463. I like Groupon more, more than I like uh, Zynga. I just my problem is that um, that Zynga is just—it's so cheap. I always want to tell people to buy Zynga, and it's been a wrong thing to do. Let's go to Phil in New York, please, Phil.
0: Mr. Kramer. Yes. Um, quick question. QD. I bought. When they come up, thirty three, nineteen, drop dropped almost 11 points. And what should I do? Buy more and
2: put back an with the It's an unseasoned stock, sir. It's been trading all over the place. And it's a Chinese stock. And the only Chinese stock that, I'm re- that I am recommending is Alibaba. So I am not going to get behind this one. Alibaba does report this week. I think it's going to be a great quarter. Let's go to Ron in Connecticut, please. Ron.
0: Yes, I'm calling about uh, Sirius XM. Yes, they estimated earnings per share at four cents. They came in at seven. They got 119,000 more subscribers. They're at 27 million subscribers. They raised the dividend. My question to you, Kramer: Why is this stock going down?
2: Well, there's million, There's just so many shares, and there's so. It's just, I mean, it is a monstrously large company, and it's not going to be able to move the way you'd like it. I mean, it's a $25 billion company. I've been recommending it for about two points now. I want you to stay in it, but it is not going to have that explosive five to seven. It's just going to creep up. That's the way it trades. All right, SnapStock may have stabilized, but I still think it's too early to call it a buy. Until I see signs that management has a real turnaround plan in place, I say you can just kind of, let's say, put it to the side all right much more have money has been a rough ride for the retailers but could a pastoral play escape the mall malaise I'm sitting down with the CEO of tractor supply then is it time to throw out the market playbook I'll tell you why the action the averages could be just scratching your head and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round so stick with Kramer
0: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from post 9 at the NYSE.
2: Maybe make it a little more um, positive. positive. Positive? Positive, maybe. Okay. Positivity, positive.
0: You know, like positive. Sure. Positivity. Yeah. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
2: This has been a rough year for much retail. Some chains seem to be doing a better job getting their house in order than others. Take Tractor Supply, TSCO, the farm and garden store that's kind of like a rural Home Depot, more than 1,700 locations around the country. Here's a stock that's had a rough time in 2017, down over 20% for the year thanks to the weakening margins and difficult sales atmosphere that everybody's had to deal with. But then last Wednesday, Tractor Supply came out, put a really good quarter. company delivered a four-cent earnings beat off a buck 68 basis, higher-than-expected revenues, up 11.6% year-over-year, year, and strong same store sales, 6.6%. That is highly unusual that anybody could do that well. Most retailers would kill for that number. Plus, management gave robust guidance, although they also indicated that the company's margins could remain under pressure. Since then, the stock has surged from 55 to 60, while every other retail stock has been going down. i got to wonder if we can keep running. Let's check in with Greg Sanford. He's the CEO of Tractor Supply to learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Sanford, welcome back to Man Money. I've got to tell you, sir. Thank you, I'm sitting, nice you know, talking to you during the green room. Uh, your store was packed yesterday at 9.30 on a Sunday morning. Who's going?
1: People that need things, Jim. That's yeah. why we're packed. If you need something and you need it now, we're the place to be. You really
2: are. My stores in Hillsboro, You correctly right. indicated it on 202. But the, uh, the experience, I've been to many tractor supplies. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you guys do that I really want people to understand is you're involved in the community. Right. Uh, people know people who work there. It's a very different touch from most retailers,
1: it is, and and the key to that is that we hire our customers. So those people in that local market <laughs> who know one another, <laughs> yep. okay, who, who best to serve the customers and the customers themselves? So that's how we do it, very simply.
2: You're the farmer next door to us, uh, son, mm-hmm. works at Tractor Supply. You have a unique uh, and very fast-growing online strategy that I think works terrifically for for a lot of your bulk items, it, and it's been fantastic yes. for you.
1: Yeah, buy line pickup in-store has really been the key. Uh, we turned that on about a year ago. Uh, it's doing quite well, and you put it correct. If you've got large bulk items, difficult to bring home, but you can locate it and know that it's at the store that's close to you, you can make that purchase. We have the product there and you can make the trip to the store. And by the way, while you're there, you typically find other things to buy.
2: That's always true, because I bought things I show you. I bought a blue blue overall shirt or gloves, and I just kind of just see right at the checkout. Now, you also um, have uh, generators, which has proven to be very important. Now, I know that could be one off, and you don't necessarily make as much money on generators. But on your site, you always show what's trending. And generators have been trending since the problems in Florida and Texas.
1: They have. And I would tell you that it's more for a customer service standpoint than it is, like you said, high margin. Right. We were to be there for our customers when we had the uh, hurricane that came through Florida, for example. Very tough time. Loss of power was the biggest problem. Right. So the generator business, as you can imagine, was very robust and still continues today, to be very honest.
2: And you've also been, as a gardener, you've really been attuned. Uh, We know there are not enough bees. No one, unless you're a real gardener, knows that we have a B-problem in this country, and you have sensed that and doing something about
1: it. Yeah, we have an entire uh, assortment now of of B-products, we'll call it that, and there's several types of products that we sell, but you can actually purchase some of those products online uh, and have them shipped, again, to your home, or you can pick them up at the store. That's correct.
2: uh, Yeah, I, I have always found that when you're trying to figure out if you're trying to be a natural or organic farmer or if you're trying to be, become a farmer because you've decided to change your lifestyle, tractor supply is also the place to go.
1: Yeah, it truly is. We have seasoned advice, and that advice comes from our team members. Again, hiring, you know, your, your customers who know the products, who know that region of the country. That's the key. I mean, you, the knowledge base in our stores is unmatched.
2: Now, what's the split of, of clothes versus others?
1: Very small. It's a small percentage. Clothing, footwear, that category is less than 10 percent. Really? Even though
2: I would have thought it was more than that because yeah, everybody I know buys clothes the way when they're at Tractor Supply.
1: Yeah, I think what you find on the right-hand side of the store, the feed and food businesses, are right, well, very very large, right. and the left-hand side of the store being the hardlined products and then the seasonal products typically. But, yeah, 10% rate, a little less, less than 10 is a good rate, actually. Okay, so business.
2: now where are we in terms of, I mean, there was a couple of, a couple of, 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 down, of years where mm-hmm. it wasn't real tractor supply after having a fabulous yeah. ramp. Why is it coming back now, and is it sustainable?
1: Well, there's two things. Uh, I think our focus on the digital component of our business is what's important. There's four big initiatives there. You know, the buy line pick-up, and store we talked about right, earlier. It's fabulous. The mobile POS in our stores, giving mm-hmm. our customers and our team members the ability to make it a fast, easy transaction right. anywhere in the store and even outside right, of the I like store. like that. Right. You know, the fact that we've got now Neighbors Club. This is the CRM program that we've just launched. Now, rolled it out uh, this past April. Mm-hmm. we now have over 5 million members, and it's growing, like, very, very, very rapidly. You know, and, and you find all these kinds of components. The last piece is what we call Stockyard. So let's look at our store. 18,000 SKUs in the box, right. roughly. But with Stockyard, which is the extension of the long tail, I could have hundreds of thousands of SKUs available to you. Well, So the store goes from fifteen five to a 100,000-square-foot store well, all online.
2: It really works. And it's a very, very fun store to shop at, I should add. You're good. I'm glad you okay, enjoyed it. Okay, that's Greg Sanford, CEO of Tractor Supply. And I've got to tell you, TSCO is coming back. This was one of the great growth stories of all time. And I think it can reignite here. That Money's back after the break. It is time! Time the lightning round. First one. the And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's go with Kathy in New York. Kathy. Hey, Jim, how are you tonight? Oh, man, I'm good. How about you?
0: I couldn't be better. <laughs> and you're going to make me even better than that.
2: <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, I hope so. Oh. I've got a two part question on Regeneron. Okay. What, what's uh, causing the slippage? Yep. It's like shoots and ladders with these guys all of a sudden. And what signals can I look for for a massive rebound? Okay, here's
2: the, here's the problem, Kathy, thank you for the kind words, but Len Slyfer's doing everything he can. I mean, this company is one of the great biotech companies of all time. The problem is, is that everybody has decided that the drug business is not the drug, it's not the business that we're used to, and there's a lot of competition, a lot of companies going at it, and that includes Regeneron versus Amgen. I think you're fine, and I think Len's doing great, but I'm not crazy about the industry. Let's go to Steve in Colorado, please, Steve. Jim well, yeah, from Colorado. Nice to have you. Thank you. Uh,
0: A while back, I bought stock in Acacia Communications right after the IPO.
3: I was going to sell it, but I listened to your show where you said the underwriters mispriced it. So I held on and sold it much later and tripled the profit I otherwise would have made. So thank you very much, Jim. What is your views today of Acacia? Uh,
2: You know, it's a very competitive business now. They had these Chinese contracts that didn't work out, and that really uh, set the thing going down. And uh, since then, I've really kind of had to walk away from it, frankly. The Chinese contracts spooked me. Let's go to Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda,
0: Booyah, Mr. Kramer.
2: Booyah, Rhonda.
0: Jim, your perspective, please. Liberty Interactive.
2: Oh, I like it very much. I think Liberty Interactive is just a terrific, terrific stock. Uh, it, it, yes, just own that one. Greg Maffei is fabulous. He's the CEO. Margaret in California. Margaret.
3: Jim Cramer, your voice is just music to my
0: ears.
2: Oh, well, there you go, man. What a what a way around. Get a swell head here. What's up?
0: I called your show before when my stock had a bad quarter, and looking back, your advice was such words of wisdom. You reassured me, and I quote you: Exalt the COVID. <laughs>
2: You'll Jeez, you know, um, I get no kick out of Exalta. Um, you know, what alcohol doesn't... <laughs> doing a little cold porter there. Uh, Exalta is true. You know, got the acquisition. That's what we've been looking for. We did a big piece on it. And, um, you know, I've, it's been uh, nothing but net. Um, but thank you for that piano rendition. It was quite amazing. Um, how, about, uh, how about Jeff in Pennsylvania? Jeff! Hey, Jim.
0: Hey, big fan of the show. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're quite welcome. Hey. What's going on? My question is on Southwest Airlines. I've held it for a long time. A two-part question. Why did the stock get hit when it reported last week on a, on a report? I thought it was pretty good. And number two, what are your thoughts long-term on so this? I, stock?
2: Uh, you know, I go over this one with Jeff Marks. We had a great uh, teaching this weekend and, uh, for action alerts and you know, look, there were issues. There were hedging issues. There's competition issues. We almost decided to just, you know, we had sold some hard. We almost decided to get rid of it. We're holding it for now because it's too cheap. But, oh, boy, it's not been a great run. And that, ladies and the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: This is a market that seems to have suspended nearly all the ordinary rules that we go by. Things that aren't supposed to happen have been happening at a faster pace than any time I can recall. So many stocks are behaving incorrectly, at least compared to the whole to the, you know, the long-held hedge fund playbook. I don't even know where to begin. As I scan my charts this weekend, as you know I always like to do, I always try to figure out what's working and what isn't. I noticed that there are tons of things that are supposed to be happening that aren't supposed to be happening. But they are happening. Let's go over the conundrums. Let's start with housing. I mean, this one's absolutely crazy. Now, when we know interest rates are going higher, when we know we're facing multiple Fed rate hikes this next year, you should be selling these stocks. In a world of rising rates, housing should be the single worst performing group out there because people buy fewer homes when mortgages get more expensive. But when you look over the charts, the home builders are perhaps the single best group when it comes to the new Hylus, the market can't even be bothered to distinguish between which ones are good and which ones are bad. They're all flying. We also have housing related companies as diverse as Radiant and Tree roaring well beyond what you'd expect. There's that ETF in housing. But it's really about Toll Brothers, Pulte, Lenar, KB Homes and D.R. Horton. If you still want in, may I suggest that you buy the stock of Lenar, which got hit for a couple of points as it made a very shrewd acquisition of another company in the same industry. Smart. That's when Playbook says we should be shorting these stocks aggressively at this point in the cycle. And look, I believe the Playbook will be right eventually. However, you don't get this kind of rally unless something good is happening. And when I go over the home builders, so I come up with three things that could be driving the bus. First, rates are still extremely low by historical standards. So low that we have to wait 100 basis points before we even think about them hurting the home builders. Second, it's very difficult to get enough land to build. The big home builders took advantage of the recession by a ton of acreage. And third, homes are so scarce that the price of housing is advancing faster than the cost to build. So the gross margins here are bountiful. If that's the case, then home builders can be bought right into the teeth of the next rate hike. Although I'd wait to see who the new Fed chairman is before you pull the trigger. I think any of the candidates other than Yellen would make the bulk of money managers start worrying about faster rate hikes, so you might get a downtick later this week. Second group that makes no sense at, at all, the utilities. There's no doubt in my mind that this group should be getting crushed. The utilities are all about dividend yields, and when rates are rising, these yields become a lot less attractive. Just simple math. Their stocks should be going lower here, like clockwork, yet they're doing quite well. How is that possible? I think some of it might be the strength of the U.S. economy. Last week, we interviewed the CEO of American Electric Power, and his numbers were incredibly robust because of demand. That's right, the utilities, for the first time I can remember, might be trading as industrials, something my writing partner at TheStreet.com, Matt Horween, pointed out to me just yesterday. It's also possible that they could be reacting to mergers. Vistra Energy's $2.3 billion purchase of the once on the ropes Dynegy this morning speaks volumes about why this group may have more room to run. Final group that's trading incorrectly? This one's more arguable, but some might say the banks. We know if the Fed keeps tightening, we'll have an inverted yield curve. And that's supposed to signify that a recessions upon us. But I come back and say at this point in the economic cycle, the bank stocks are almost always winners since they benefit so dramatically from rate hikes, And the Fed has barely gotten started. One of the biggest challenges for money managers is that this market's no longer following the patterns established by history. But in a real bull market like this one, we make exceptions to the playbook. And we rally to the occasion, so to speak. In the end, it's happening. It's true. And it's making a mockery of the bears, who told us endlessly that these stocks simply should not be going up right here, right now. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And that's all that matters. Stick with Kramer. Okay, you know I always say to own Apple, not trade it. Today, we got the all-time high. If you have not bought it yet, I now want you to wait to see what the quarter is just in case you get a sell-off and a better opportunity. It won't be the first time that's happened. I advised that last time. It was good advice. I'm sticking with it again, even though I think Apple's a fabulous stock. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.